Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diadora, the brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 26, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, world number 27, Jan Leonard Struff, world number 38, Martina Trevisan. See them at Diadora.com. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at HollibirdSports.com for 15% off of all Diadora Performance Tennis Shoes. We have a special show for you today. He was born and raised in Birmingham, England, and grew up playing squash as his main sport before making tennis his game. He was long identified as one of the most talented players in the world, but in 2017, he was given a one-year ban for a positive drug test that derailed his career, and we talked about it all. His carbonated style and effusive personality have made him one of the flashiest players in the game. And just this past August, after winning the City Open in Washington, D.C., he reached a career-high ranking of 21 in the world. And in September, put the British Davis Cup team on his back, electrifying the Manchester, England crowd with thrilling come-from-behind wins in both singles and doubles. Dan Evans is today's guest. Oh, wait, hang on, you're in Stockholm. Yeah, I'm in Stockholm. Now, the tournament is a very famous tournament. What's it like to play that tournament? No, it's it's funny because we were talking about it today. Is you know, there's not so many like long-standing events anymore which have got big history. And Stockholm's a 250, which is obviously a smaller event on the calendar, but it's a very prestigious. You know, if you just look at the old players who who have won it, who have played it, um, it's an amazing tournament. I think. Doha is a similar sort of vibe there. There's a big, long history, and it's been on the calendar a long time. And I think it's pretty cool when you've watched the tournament as a youngster to on the television to then go and play. And it's that it's actually funny because you get three in a row. You know, pretty you know historic tournaments: Stockholm, Vienna, and Paris, Bercy, which is um, yeah. And and if you play Basel as well, that's a long-standing tournament on the calendar. Are you scheduled to play all four? Well, Basel and Vienna the same week. I'm playing Vienna. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. And then you're going to go to Bercy. Yeah. For our listeners, this guy has had a big box office summer. He won DC. He played Carlitos Alcaraz rough and tough at the U.S. Open. He followed that up with putting his country's Davis Cup team on his back, going 4-1, and one. He beat Arthur Fees down a set in a break. Then he played one of the great doubles matches we've ever seen, getting England into the final of the of Davis Cup. And then he played Alcaraz again, rough. We're going to talk about it all. Dan Evans, my man, it's so good to see you. And you, Craig. As you know, we do a five-set format. The first set's the off-the-court report. Let's just get right into it. Now, listen, I want to talk about travel. You, you went to China. Um, how was how was that Asian swing for you? Yeah, I mean, it's very different to a lot of the tour. You know, there's, um, you know, I played Chengdu first and, you know, it's very far removed from the Western world and not, not a lot of people speak English. Um, you know, very, very hard to order food. Um, you know, you may have one or one person in the restaurant who can speak English, so you have to be patient. Um, long, long travel. Uh, I went straight from Davis Cup, and uh, oh, you did, yeah, so long, you, long travel. Wait, so hold on a second. So you went straight from England, from Birmingham. You guys were in Manchester. You went straight Manchester. To, yeah. You went straight to China. Yeah, I woke up the next day, little little sore head, and took a car to London Heathrow, which is about three and a half hours. No, and then flew to yeah, yeah. I mean, I lost first round, but I or second round, but I think you know those things are pretty cool. That the next day you're, you know, you're in the different part of the world, and I was with one of my friends came with me who hits and my fitness trainer, so it was um it was cool. Um, and then yeah, I I had terrible jet lag, some tough nights, some tough days. Do you have any secrets to breaking the jet lag? Do you have any secrets to getting through it? Uh, I mean, I thought I did until I went back to to Asia this year for the first time in four years. Now, I mean, the States is pretty pretty standard stuff. Stay up as late as possible and you'll wake up pretty early. But yeah, Asia was tough. Um, it took a long time. Uh, 
yeah, it was it was not easy, but I obviously didn't have a great swing there, but I really enjoyed it. I was playing good tennis, and that's I think what's the tough tough thing to sort of translate to people who ask you how how was the tour. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it, and I played well, but I didn't win any matches. But I really had had good fun. I I'm playing really well, and I competed hard. I mean, it was it's a rough sport when it comes up comes that way at you. We're gonna talk about what happened on the court shortly, but I want to know. So then you you leave there, you fly, you, so you lose to Alcaraz. Do you live in in England or do you live in Dubai? Yeah. Uh, yeah, not not so much in England anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm in Dubai. Um, spend quite a bit of time there when I can. So is that where you flew to after Shanghai? No, no, I, I flew actually to um, to London. I was I had you know we was in Europe, so I just stopped off there for two two days. Um, okay, and then I flew over to to, to Stockholm. Um, oh. I always <laughs> I always say like soon enough they might. The tour won't won't let you play the tournament, so you might as well get out there and enjoy it, play, and it's, it's good. Hang on a second, Casakina Daria Casakina has just said that she. I guess you know she records a little TV show with her girlfriend, yeah. and she was saying, you know, she. I guess she was really rattled from all the travel that her body was trashed, and that her her she's you know she just couldn't. She was very upset with the tour. Um, my friend, when I was talking to a buddy, he said, oh, I think that the players are all handling that Asia trip really bad because they're not used to it after four years out from it. Do you think there's something to that? Yeah, I, I think the jet lag definitely was a lot different to yeah to how I remembered it. It was it was tough. It was real real tough. But you know, I used the first week as as best as I could, and then you know, rest practice and and yeah as i said it was i really enjoyed it i think it's i think the more cities we get to go to to play the the tour is on or in is is an amazing thing and i think you know if there's not long-standing tournaments which there's not many left they should be moving the tournaments around let's move into the second set this is the on the court report i was at a lot of tournaments this year i saw you lose a lot of matches it seemed to me like you you were you were struggling, and then you, you turned it all around. What happened in DC that it all came together? Before before DC, I obviously played Queens, and and I had you know I'd started back with an old fitness trainer, and he sort of said, you know, I come off the court, and I was I was awful. Quarter was very good, and he said, listen, I I can't, I need to sort of say something you don't mind if I step out of line it's not my sort of this is not my place to say it but I didn't have a coach I just stopped and he said you know like you need to play free you need to you know you work hard you do all the off-court stuff there's no point doing that if you go on the court and you know don't do the the stuff you're good at and compete and be hard to beat and and then I, I had a bad match in Wimbledon and then me and the fitness trainer we went to we had a bit of time Sorry, uh, Dan. Who's the fitness? What's his name? Who is this? Fit? He gave you a he gave you a talk, huh? Yeah, Kieran Vorster's his name. He was with Tim Hemman, Wayne Ferreira. Ah, uh, for our listeners, that's a real guy right there. That's a real tennis man. Yeah. He's been in the game for a long time. So Kieran Vorster is your man. Yeah. How long? And he's been with you some time. Yeah, we started again in. We'd done a long period before, and then we started again just before Wimbledon. So you okay. come in a pretty tough time. And he gave you a talk. Yeah, and yeah, and we just sat down, and then, and so that was sort of in my head. And then I lost the first two sets and come off for darkness. And another guy who's a very good friend, Ben Harron, and uh, an agent friend of mine were in our house we were staying in, which we were renting, and. You know, they come back and I was awful and they give me, you know, this is not good. This is, you're wasting it. It's just shit, whatever, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And then I played really well the next day, got unlucky, lost in four sets. Hey, didn't they move you onto one? Didn't you get moved? I think, was it center? I think, yes, yeah, oh, got. Oh, yeah. For, yeah so, and you lost that French kid. That kid played yeah, well. Halle. He's, he's yeah. a good, yeah, he, uh, Quentin Hallis. Yeah. But you played better the second day. Yeah, so I left Wimbledon. I was really, it sounds strange. I was really positive, felt good. And I, and then, you know, the trainer said, listen, go away, five, six days off. 
and, and and message me when you want to leave for America. I'm I'm waiting. So then I messaged him when I was ready, and and we said like, let's go to Nick's old place, Bolletieri's, where I always go just before just before the swing. And we did like six seven days there, and it was it was boiling. We trained like maniacs, and it was and he did the the fitness training, did the stuff. It was you know it was great fun. You played better that second day. You lose the match. You, you took a set, and then you lose the match. You leave. Mm. You go. Where'd you go on vacation? What'd you do? No, I did nothing. I just played golf in in England in the the summer. Okay. Yeah, drank some. Uh, yeah, and and just yeah, got away from it. Put the rackets down. Got away. Then you go to Bolton. When you go to Bolton, you stay on the campus. Do you stay right there? No, no, no. We no. we stay we stay in in um. The little town just down the road. I forget the name. Oh. So you stay off campus, and every day you yeah. get up and you go in there and you get your work in and you get ready to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. And 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 what's that like? You enjoy that? Yeah, you know I've that? always I, I've gone I've gone there for a few years. Um, I did preseason there one year, and then I started to use it as just after Wimbledon for a gap to train a bit and and then play Washington. But this year I didn't play enough matches, so I've said okay let's play Atlanta and so we went there and then yeah I mean they're, they're really accommodating there do you practice with the young kids there do they give you sparring partners <clears throat> whoever you want that's that's like the beauty of it if you, you want a guy who's young and not to use him but to use him as to as a tool as to how you want your practices yeah or you know I hit with Michael Moe a few times I hit with Kay a few times and then you've got, you know, the gym is right there. You can just, you can go in in the morning and not leave till five. And it's perfect. You'd like to do that work. You enjoy that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was great to, you know, I always feel better when I know I've done a little sort of block before a, a swing of tournament. You know, it's funny. A lot of times I talk to a lot of guys that, you know, have retired and I always say, listen, man, in 1997, you, you played your best tennis. What, why, who are you, what did you do? And he said, you know, I was in, I had a great training block and I was in great shape and I was confident. Would that be fair to mm. say that's how you felt coming out of there? Yeah. I mean, I always, that, that's like, I just think the energy there is, is amazing. You know, you've got red who's yeah. always there. He's screaming still. And, I just think it doesn't matter if you're number two in the world or you're or you're twenty or or eight hundred or a junior that everybody's doing the same thing for the same for the same reason and that's the sort of thing I like is you know it doesn't matter if you're a scholar or whatever that you, you're there to work and and then we all leave and then see you tomorrow and it's it's a pretty it's refreshing way now how that's still happening there and there's and plenty you- of you know, things in this world which are not like that in sport anymore. And that's, I think it's pretty cool. You get to D, so you played Atlanta. I served, it's amazing. I served, I was 5-3 up in the third, 40 love up and lost the match, yeah. On who? Kopfer. Oh, Kepfer. He's good, man. Yeah. He's been playing, he was playing a bit better. Um, But yeah, I butchered the match. Um, 5-3. Yeah, break up and... Yeah, a set and five three, then four two up in the third. Anyway, yeah, and then yeah, I got to DC in the same state as I got to every other tournament. You lose that match in Atlanta. Does does do you feel like you've fallen back all the way again? No, no. I was in such control of the match; it was just so obvious I was desperate to win. It was, you know, it was a lack of composure. Um, yeah, and you know, I sort of yeah. We we left and we, you know, I don't take losses so badly. That's one thing I'm pretty good at. And you shake the loss off. Yeah. And Have you always been that way? You shake the loss off or has that something that's come with time? Yeah, it come a bit when I was, you know, a bit older. But, you know, you, you'll remember Paul Anacone was at the, the LCA. Yeah. And he said to me, and I certain things stick with you. He said, like, you need to learn how to lose in this game. You know, pretty quick, my friend. You need to lose. You need to. You need to learn how to lose in this game pretty quick. Yeah, and uh, and I didn't I, listen to much. I could just picture him saying that he, he was great with me, and I didn't listen to half as much stuff as I should have. I was obviously nineteen, twenty, but I remembered that, and you know, he's still 
you know, if I speak to him, we we text a little bit, or he'll always text after I do a good good match, or you know, it's always along those lines, and it's it's always stuck with me. Yeah. So you go to DC, man. When you're playing well, there's nothing like it. Like, just how good did you feel like you were playing? I mean, you beat Tiafo, you beat Dimitrov. Talon Greekspor was playing great tennis. You handled him like you just routined him. Mm. Do you just keep getting better and better and better? Yeah, I, I, I won a first round, which was really scrappy. Um, lost the first set in like, I don't know, 20 minutes. But then I won and I played good a bit better towards the end, but then I played Shevchenko, who was like a bit of a grinder and he didn't, he wouldn't like the way I played if I played properly, like chip charge. And I said like, just be inside the baseline and chip charge, serve volley, he stands miles back. I, I just started to feel good in that match and I, and it just went and then I played, yeah, I, I tuned him up. I played really well. Uh, I moved the ball around well. I come in, I volleyed well. And then at like 7.30 that night, I had to play Tiafo. So I was like... Oh, that's right, because it was weather. Because of weather, yeah. you had to go two matches in a day. Sorry, so you played in... Okay, continue. And I, and I, when I played Tiafo, I mean, I sort of said to the, the fitness trainer, I said, I think he'll be... You know, he's played one already today. I think he played one. I think he'll be maybe a bit slow coming out. So I'm going to go hard at the start. And and I broke him, and I never really he never really pu- pulled me back. I know, but but Dan, you were playing unbelievable though. You just yeah. kept playing better and better. But then I started to just because of the the Shevchenko match, I, I my game I basically done my game for like two hours, and it just kept. I was like, don't stop playing your game now. So I just <laughs> carried on trying different things, and yeah, and then obviously yeah, it's just I just played just. Like the two hours of Shashenko just played me into like total form. Is that that's interesting? You know, whether you're a club player or you're a world class top thirty, top twenty guy, styles make fights, and sometimes a player can mm. work you into that. So that so Shevchenko's style just worked you into form. Well, it was sort of I knew how he would try and play me, and to find my backhand and and grind me down. So I sort of. It gave me no choice. It played me into play your game, or he'll, he'll he, it'll be too hard. So I just played, and it sort of gave me no choice. I made made my mind up for myself, and and that yeah, I just played me into form, and yeah, intensity was there, serve was there, and it just become. I, I, I'm sorry, I saw Tiafo at the end of that match. Man, he went to go shake hands. He just shook his head like, brother, too good. What did he say to you? Because it looked like you threw him into a... It looks like you kind of wrecked his summer. Like, after that match, he never really... He never really recovered. Like, he's another guy who I enjoy playing. He's got such good skill. I know where he hits the ball. And it it sort of matches up pretty well. And he... Yeah, I obviously played no no doubt. I played unbelievable. But I just felt I knew where... where what, What was happening... Does he does he tip his strokes? Do you know what he's doing? No, I know I know like we laugh, we practice together quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I know how he's gonna try and beat me and he knows how I'm gonna try and beat him. But doesn't everybody try to abuse you on that backhand side and it's your job to have such good movement that you can you can make it tough for these guys? Yeah. But obviously I know Francis will come forward on certain balls where other people won't. Okay. He's an amazing player, and I just I really enjoy hitting with him, playing against him, and it just yeah I was playing so well by that point. <laughs> and he obviously he was in Washington. He obviously had a bit of pressure to to you know he obviously wants to win that tournament bad, and it sort of just all played into my hands a bit. What's it like to be Grigor? What's it like to play Grigor? Grigor, you know, is one of the most beautiful players of our time. Yeah, it, it's it's similar to the Tiafa thing. It's just an enjoyable match to play. It's very physical, but you know he's going to hit great shots, and it's going to be. It sounds strange, but when he hits good shots, they look so good. You can you can sort of appreciate the shots more. You know, a lot of them, he meant that shot, or you know, he can serve volley. He means to do that, and that's not a lucky volley. Or who has a better slice, him or you? I'm never going to say Grigor. I'm never on say that Grigor. question. 
No. No. Wait, hang on. Does Grigor not have a, does he not have a good slice? No, he has, Grigor has a, he has a great slice, but I can't say anybody's got a better slice than myself. <laughs> does anyone have a better slice than you? Tim Henman, maybe, but he's not playing. Yeah. Nobody has a better slice than you. I don't know. It's one of my be- I'd say it's my best shots. So it's hard to say if they do. Listen, man, when you win a tournament, you got to be right. You, you had to have been feeling good. What'd you do that night? Do you have a nice dinner with, uh-huh. with your, with the, with the, with the wife, the team? It's funny because Mark Iron is a very generous guy, great tournament director. And he put on a private jet for me and me and Talon. So we could leave that night to get to the tournament earlier. So we left. Oh, you went to Canada. Well, yeah, we were supposed to, but then we sat on the tarmac or the, in the in the, and we couldn't fly. So anyway, we all had to go back. So we didn't get back to the hotel till like one in the morning. So yeah, we didn't really do much. We just spent it with each other, me, my team, and Talon's team. But it was it was pretty cool. The Greek sports team is like those guys are good guys. Those Dutch guys. Yeah, they they're, they're good guys, and yeah, he's had a heck of a year, and he's he's been playing some good tennis. Hey, by the way, what an athlete Talon Greekspor is. Yeah, he's he's a strong, strong boy, yeah. You sound like you enjoy, like uh you have a lot of respect for his tennis. Yeah, I, I played him I played him a few times and he he'd improved a lot under his new coach, um Vliegen, Christoph Vliegen, who was obviously a good tennis player. Christoph Vliegen, for our listeners, was a top guy in pro tennis for quite some time. Yeah, I was and he was hitting the ball bigger, serving bigger, and using his backhand a lot down the line. And when yeah, when I played him, I was wary and respected his level a lot. Yeah, you get to the U.S. Open. We were by chance we're next to your team when you played Botik van der Zandeshulp. You lost that first set. You got routined, and then man, you 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 really hit a great level at the Open. What was the Open like for you? Yeah, I mean it was. In the end, it was pretty frustrating to to come up against uh, Alcaraz in the third round. Yeah, it sounds silly to say, but I I think I left a left a few chances out on the court. Um, Just back up for a second, though. You you really played well against Botic. Does the confidence of DC kind of did it run right through the whole summer for you? Yeah, the Botic match was pretty really helped a bit. That I, it was so different the conditions to the first round. And I got through in the end pretty pretty comfortably after getting, as you said, routined in the first round, first first set. Yeah, it was it was yeah, I was pretty impressed with with how I dealt with with it all. Listen, I see you. Your eyes are darting all around the court all the time. It's like you're very aware of your surroundings. At one point in the match, you hammered a fan that was off to your left yeah what was the behavior from that fan i just want to know um because i feel like we're seeing more and more like brazen behavior from the fans what, what was that a gambler that was giving it to you or was, was that just an out of control fan what was that well i that's the thing I, he was he was all good fun at the start and and it was all it was all very jovial and good you know, I, I replied to him once when I got my towel as he was sat right by my towel. And then he come with don't choke. Then after that, and yeah, don't do this, don't do that. And then I said to him, okay, listen, one more chance. Otherwise, it's time to go home. You said it. You said, bro, you say another yeah. word to me. You're out of here, bro. You told yeah. him. I heard. Yeah. He was telling, he said, don't choke. That's what he was saying. Yeah, there's there's good things, good good joking and good good fun stuff to interact which i think the crowd are allowed to do and and rightly so but you know when you start saying those sort of things i don't think that's good for anybody you know it's not it's not going to end up good for a player or a fan i was uh ringside for alcaraz that was just uh a treat to watch what was that like for you another amazing chance to get on you know such a a great court. Um, yeah, it was packed playing, playing Carlos. Um, and that's the best I've played on that court, which I hadn't really played that good on that court, which was, you know, that was sort of my goal was to, to play better than obviously I thought I could win the match, but to play better than I had the previous time. 
when you're playing better players, you have certain certain goals. It's not just to win the match at the at the start. You you believe you can, but you know I use the time a lot. Um, I try and get to a certain amount of point, certain amount of you know the the clock in the in the match. And then if you're doing that, you're doing pretty good. And after I think I was getting hammered in the first set, and I tried to get. I remember it being like 31 minutes at the, and I tried to get the first set to like 45 and I think I did. You were like literally just trying to, you were paying attention to how long the match was going. Yeah. I mean, And you were trying to extend the match. Yeah. It's, I, I've done it. I've done it quite a bit just to try and, you know, if the match goes a certain amount, it means you're doing something pretty good or, it's more so when you're losing, I guess, to try and just hang in and hang around. And then the match actually went seriously long in the end. But um, What's it like to feel him on that court? What's it like? I mean, this kid is, he's a ball of dynamite. Yeah, I think the, it's more the, unex, the unexpected. He's got power. He's got feel. He's got, he's got slice. He can change direction. It. You know, you always feel like you're on your heels against him and never really know where you're moving. And that's, I think that's dangerous to, to feel that way. Or, well, that's, it is dangerous, but it's an amazing achievement for, for him if he puts that feeling onto so many players, no doubt. Man, I thought that he was going to routine you, um, just hitting the kicker out to the ad court mm. and just getting that ball so high up to your backhand and then just kind of doing whatever he wanted to you. It seems like he does that to a lot of players. I couldn't believe how well you played. Uh, you really neutralized him at times. It, it felt like the tennis was so entertaining. What did you and your team talk about in advance of that match, how you were going to try to play him? I'd, I'd made it clear that in, in press that, you know, he's obviously a great player, He's also a really normal person, very, you know, down to earth. And I think that's, you can, you can use that in the match is that he is normal. He's not, he's obviously very good at the sport and just, he's not got, he's going to be very good, but he's not got 22 in his pocket just so he can have an off day or he can. And that was, you know, I, I played my, I played my, the best, best game I could play in on the, off his balls. And that was the the goal was like I said to to achieve better than I did before with my level and and go out and try and try and cause an upset and said it to my friend the other day we were talking about it after I got back from if I felt like I did at two love in the second set when I had a break when I did when I was down in the third it's all it's very strange I felt more comfortable down in the third than I did a set down and two love up. Isn't that true, though, that like quite often we, again, doesn't matter the level that we play better when we're losing because you you're losing. You got nothing to lose. Right. Like once you know you can't win, you can't lose. (laughs) Yeah. And I I just it was more I sort of got into the match more. I was more comfortable and I just felt like I knew the game. The way I was playing was working. And that was yeah, it was sort of testament to hanging in there and and it gave me confidence for the rest of the year to to you know, I, I I believe that I didn't lose to Phil's in Davis Cup because of all of the America stuff and staying calm and working out a way to win was is why why, you know, I won I won the last match and I played in Manchester. How much confidence in your tennis do you get <clears throat> from playing Carlitos? tough I, I knew my level was there that that's for sure you know but there's nothing better than winning so like you said I'd probably take more confidence from beating Botic because I was I was down and I found a way but then I I didn't really play my best tennis until just at the end of that match but I played very good tennis all the way through the Alcaraz match you did something in that match that I never saw ever before in my life and I've been to a lot you know you know I've been to a lot of tennis you had a guy ejected from your player box from all the way on the other side of the court. You, at, at some point, you, lo- you looked up and you said, no, 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 man, get this. This guy slid into my – the guy slid into your box. Are you always aware of what's happening 
that you know, you said get this guy out of there. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I just I've always I've always been so like I've always looked around. I don't know if it's from playing squash when I was young. You always look up to see who's on the balcony or through the glass or whatever. I don't know. I've just always done it, and it's uh, yeah. I saw the guy and. Yes, yeah, there's nothing worse for me when I look up and you know I'm a bit weird like that. If if like my team sat in a different like not formation, if I don't like how it looks when I sit when I look up, I tell them move around a bit. What other like idiosyncrasies do you have? Is there any is there anything else that you have that's like a little bit screwy? Yeah, I have no no stickers on my racket when I have them strung at a tournament. No stickers. Yeah, it's a it's a strange one. Only like if P one string for me, they can put their number on. But if it's a tournament stringer, don't put anything on my racket. No, I know the tension. For our listeners, Dan is a P one player. Uh, Ron and uh, Nate are his guys. They customize his racket. You only take a sticker from those guys, huh? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know why they even do it because I only ever string one tension. I never have different. But it's good because they put the they put the day it was strung and the number, which I guess is helpful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 weird. I don't know why. Uh, I like my racket to look clean, and only black tape around the around the grip. And what, what's the story with the low sock? You're the only guy in pro tennis that wears the low sock. So I was wearing I was wearing the the higher Thor low sock. And it was dropping down into the shoe. It wasn't holding its stretch. Yeah, it wasn't holding. I saw this sock on the website and I thought, I'll give this a try. And anybody who knows knows me, I, I like to have a decent tan. And I was like, this could work a good tan as well. No sock line. So I just started it. And then I got some abuse for a little while off, off everybody. But then... Then the the godfather of the low sock told Skupski that it was it was a good look. Marty Fish told Skupski it was a good look, so I was happy. Oh right, Marty Fish wore the low sock. Yeah, see, I always see. I always wear a low sock because I'm you know I'm short and I feel like it makes my legs look a little longer if I have a, <laughs> like you have more leg. But you you do yeah. it. So you you did it. You, you so that's it. Now you're a low sock man. Yeah, no no high sock ever again. You're a low sock player. Yeah. Davis Cup. I mean, shit. You're down a set mm. and a break to Arthur Fees in Manchester. What's it like to be in that room? That looked like the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> Was that the best? I mean, I felt like that had to have been the best moment of your whole career. Yeah, I mean... Like I've said it millions of times. Like Davis Cup was the first sort of tennis I was exposed to. Uh, in Birmingham, we had great, where I grew up. We had great ties there. Like I think it was ninety ninety nine against US. Um, yeah, we played a bunch of ties there. Like Sweden played there against us, Portugal, Thailand, and. It was sort of like amazing, like Friday, five sets, play, yeah. no change for the doubles, play, no change for the Saturday, Sunday. There was no like, I need to rest. It was like, we're playing. That's it. And that was like, for me, that was like, I don't know, it was like rock star stuff. It was like, this is madness. Like, how are they doing this? And then the the crowd was like going mental. And Tim told me in ATP Cup a few years ago that, that was the best ever atmosphere he ever played in front of when Robbie Williams let me entertain you played and he walked out <laughs> and he yeah. said it, they were going bonkers and it was just and that's like how I started to get into professional tennis as well because my first sort of like big sort of tournaments were Davis Cup because I wasn't ranked high and we didn't have a lot of players so yeah playing for your country is the most amazing thing and yeah to win for your countries you know I had yeah, I was down, but I was playing decent, and he was playing very good, better than I thought. And for our listeners, Arthur Fees can play. Yeah, this kid is—he's uh, a young gunner. He's coming. Yep. And then I—I I think I held a, a big game at three-one, and we sat down at the chair, and the captain said, "Listen, you need to fr- throw the 
Throw the fucking notebook out now. The plan's out the window. Just get out there, use the crowd, fight. And then basically I just started to go nuts for like whenever I won a point, I got the crowd involved. You know, I hustled as hard as I could. And and yeah, I used the crowd. There was 13,000 people. And, and then, you know, he obviously started to back off a bit and, and second guess. And and then I played some really good tennis to 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 win to win that match and I, I I did well in the end. And he was pissed and and he was shook. You 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 rattled him. You smiling there. Um the crowd definitely the crowd, the atmosphere, how you were playing, that rattled him a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, it was but that's you know, that's the old school Davis Cup format. You know, we were lucky enough we were playing at home and and it's partisan crowd. That's what you know, if anybody's listening from the ITF, that's what the Davis Cup is. You you want those home and away ties. Yeah, we, we went away to Colombia to get into the group stages and it was an amazing experience. And, and you know, that was probably the loudest I've ever heard a tennis court and the loudest I may ever hear a tennis court. So that's that's what we want. What's the moral of the story for you for this year? What's What's the big lesson learned? What's the big... What's the big story coming into this, coming into, you know, the back end here? Yeah, to, you know, sticks, you know, I never, I never wavered away from working hard in the, in the gym or the practice court when I was having a bad, bad sort of time. Yeah, I never, never wavered from that and, and stuck to it. And I'm not saying you'll always get a title at the end of it, but you'll get some results in the end and, and it was it was pretty you know satisfying to come away with a title. But if, if I'd lost in the final or semis, it would have been you know a great achievement from where I'd come from. And and you're not done, right? I mean, you played Carlitos again in a crazy, unbelievable match. I actually was watching it for my research. That first set of that match was like nothing I'd ever seen. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, we had another good. Another good go, and um, yeah, he come out on top. But it was, uh, you know, as you said earlier, you know, it gives you confidence, and I'm I'm feeling good here in Stockholm. Well, listen, I mean, it's been an unbelievable season for you. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show we talk about your career. Let's go quick here. I just want to know, how do you get good in Birmingham? How does that happen? Where does your tennis begin? Tennis began at a club called Alton and West Warwick. It's very, um, it's a squash club, tennis club, cricket club, um, and you you play every sport. That's what you did. Um, and yeah, I played squash more than anything. I love squash, still do. Got into the Olympics today, LA twenty. I know, I yeah. saw that. Um, yeah, so, and then I was decent at tennis. I went to an academy and in Loughborough, an LTA academy, and then I would play club matches with the men. That was it. That's what you you could do on the on the AstroTurf. Uh, yeah, we were we were unbelievably lucky at that club. We had yeah no real good tennis players come through, but amazing squash players, and yeah, everybody just wanted to wanted to play to play sport. That's it. Just playing and playing and playing. Yeah. When were you identified as a good player? Uh, I was, I was extremely. To be honest, I was really lucky with that. The club coach was friends with, with like an LTA uh, talent ID. He was his best man at his wedding, and he sort of said, "Listen, I think this kid's pretty good at squash. Um, I've given him some lessons in tennis, and I think he's pretty good." And then I obviously was looked at and I was pretty good. They saw something and then I was asked to 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 start playing with the LTA and I did that and you know, I was really lucky to be honest, with no one ever tried once I got to the academies to to try and stop me being, you know, I didn't have great com concentration and I was hitting drop shots but no one ever stopped that and that was you know I'm really lucky with that you know you see that now that people are stopping kids do that and 
And were you playing like, you know, Orange Bowl and traveling to the Eddie Her and, and playing international? <laughs> yeah. Were you, were you, were you well behaved or were you badly behaved as when you were kind of starting to come up and like, you know, be identified as being no, good? No, I mean, I was, you know, I was just regular yeah, not, kid. Yeah, just I was kid. mischievous. I would, you know, I'd piss around with friends. I didn't want yeah. to listen much to, you know, if they said 15 minutes to talk about the session, I'm, you know, come on, like, let's have five and let's use the other 10 to, to do something. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I, I've got to say, like, I was unbelievably lucky with the people who were at the academy at that time. The fitness trainer was an unbelievable trainer who turned out to be a great trainer. He's still Andy Murray's trainer to this day. And he was the fitness trainer at the... Who's that? Uh, the trainer was Matt Little. Matt Little. And that's and what's the name of the academy? It was Loughborough Academy. LTA Academy in Loughborough, yeah. Okay. And that's where you came up. That's where you got... Yeah, good. yeah. That's We had good people. Uh, Mark Taylor, Leighton Alfred. Good, good pl- people involved. What's it like being a British player? What's it like being an English player? Uh, to, to be honest, when I was growing up, it was... It was good, you know, we had like people who knew about the game. You know, we employed America coaches, Swedish coaches, Belgium coaches. We employed different, you know, people who knew about the tour. And I, I, I loved it. Uh I didn't see I didn't see any pressure being an LTA boy or whatever. Um mm-hmm. I just loved it. It was, you know, just just grateful for the chance. You know, of course, I messed up plenty of times with the LTA coming through. But it was, you know, the, the, the underlying feeling was get, getting a chance to try and be a pro tennis player, you know, for not, not having to pay that much money was, was, was pretty impressive. You know, that's a good deal. Was there ever uh, a moment, a week, uh, a tournament, a match that was the moment where you're like, oh, wait a second, I could be really good. I could be a top hundred guy i could you know make money in this i could be a pro player was there ever a match you played not really i i just always was told like listen you've got a good chance you've got a good chance you can make it and i was like would you guys fucking stop saying this because it's so hard like (laughs) you why don't you try and tell me what to do to make it let's do something together and and it was like but then I had obviously other priorities. I was 18, 19. I found out what drinks drink was. You know, I found out what other things were. That like, I'm f- from a pretty normal, well, I'm from a normal place in Birmingham, which those things are pretty, they're, they're apparent, they're happening. And that's, yeah, I found out what they were. By the way, you're not the only one. So you were yeah. going out like a, like a 19 year old, 20 year old. And then I found that those, those things and God, yeah, I enjoyed them. And then, but you have to you have to put those priorities and you you know i i think more to the point as i found out it's get it's going the wrong way here your tennis is losing because of the other stuff so you turned pro when did you stop going to school oh we i never used to go to that thing the other players they would go and i would i would get out the taxi and walk the opposite way i would never go that thing you never went. You never went to school. Nah, we we were at the academy. What, what year were you last like in a classroom where you knew your fellow classmates? Fifteen, sixteen. Uh, yeah, 14? fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. When I was at the academy, we were enrolled in the school, but we would do like four or five lessons, you know, a day or two or three a day. And there was other players there who were like, "Well, I need to go." And I, I was hell bent. I, I thought I was going to make it, so I didn't need school. And I wasn't going to school to listen because I was no, and I those were cleverer than me. So I was on my own. I was the thick one out of everybody. <laughs> so you go, you turn pro. When do you crack the top 100? When do you start making money? Or were you getting money from the LTA? So you were kind what of. What happened, you know, I'd, I'd messed up so many times going out. The LTA had had enough with financial support. So. So you were going to nightclubs, you'd get hung over, you you'd miss practice, you're doing yeah. all the all the bullshit. And then and then I basically I come to I won Knoxville Challenger and I finished the year like one fifty, I think. 
and a coach become available, Mark Hilton, who's with Andy now. He couldn't come to Australia, I don't think, but we started after Australia. And then I went to Asia, skipped the clay, played the Asian challenges. And I went into top 100 then when I was like 24. Then I started to know like, yeah, you've you've got a decent chance now at, you know, making it a bit further. It wasn't, you know, top 100 was a goal, but it wasn't like, for me, it wasn't, you know, I always, 103 and top 100 is the same thing. You get into Grand Slams at 103. So what what's top 100 was my thing. We have a big obsession in our country with top 100. I know what it is. So when did you think you could get really good, like to get to get top 50, top 30, top 20? I just always played like, I knew when I played the better players that I felt pretty comfortable. I would lose some, obviously, and get blown away. But I always felt like when I played good, good players inside 50 or when I was not ranked great, I was like, my tennis is as good as this. And... Yeah, and I remember you would may not remember him. Richard Bloomfield said to he was a British guy, and he made semis of Newport once, and he'd been around playing qualies of the tour events. And I hit with him at Glasgow, and I was about eighteen. And he said to his coach, who's actually come back and told me, he said, "Yeah, he he the way he hits the balls like the the guys on the tour." And it really, like, it was a small thing, but it really installed, like, I was like, yeah, I, and I wasn't a big guy, but I sort of know what he means, you know? Like, when I hit with the younger guys now, I'm like, and it was a big thing. He has the quality. Yeah, and it was a big thing to hear that, and and I sort of knew I had a good chance, but it was sort of putting it all together, as I said. What's it like to be in trouble as an English player, as an ATP player? Especially, what's it like to get in trouble for, like, non-performance enhancing drug like you know it's like one thing to be cheating to get good you realize you were you just got in trouble for partying essentially what was it like to be in trouble like you lose your endorsements you end up on the front page of the telegraph everyone's ready to kill you like what's that like i mean the the it was yeah it was a terrible time um terrible time Terrible of course, time. at the start, it's a very, you know, it's a sobering feeling. Um, you don't really know what you can do with yourself. You don't know what you're going to do. It's the unknown. It's how long it's going to take. So what happens? They 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 call you or the guy, call, one of the tournament people comes right to the place. They say, bro, you're in trouble. We, we no, found you, this or that. You get an email. Yeah. Email into the. You get an email. And then you, you obviously, it's a letter on the email. Um and then, to be honest, for like three months, it's a lot, a lot of work. Like speaking to lawyers, um, you know, trying to explain how you did it, and it's not a simple explanation of oh, I went to this party and did this. They want the science behind it. They want to know how much, when, how, blah. And you try have to tell that to a lawyer. Then a lawyer has to tell someone, and that's costing you money. And then, and then you want to go to bed. And then the lawyer's ringing you because a guy in the ITF wants to know this. And it's like, well, I'm here. And then it's, it was great when it was over. The, once I got the ban, because it took a long time for the ban to come out. How long did it take for the ban to come out? I'm going to say like a month or two, like the, 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 probably two months or three months of how long they, they gave me. Ugh. And then you know you're going to get banned, but you don't know how long. And so once you find that out, you can put a plan together. And you got banned a year? Yeah, I got nine months in the end because I had three months backdated. And and what did you do those nine months? Uh, no, I lived normal for for seven of them because you can't use tennis to do with an body until two months out. Um, yeah, I'm massive, massive fan of horse racing, went horse racing a lot, Um <laughs> you went yeah. to the track uh and and yeah live live normal like start to realize what a nine to five job how long that is um couldn't believe how long people were going to work so i was in the. Well, you were waiting for people to get out of work exactly yeah and you're like fuck this is what normal people do and no nah, it was it was ter- terrible yeah but what was the worst thing that happened to you 
when after you got in that trouble? Like what's because like what's the what's like what's I the can't worst? say many people left me because that's not that's not true. You know, I always was solid with yeah. my friends and I always thought I had solid friends. I think obviously the embarrassment for your parents, you know, um is is the worst thing. I think a lot of other people got the blame for me failing the test as well, like friends. And that was not true. It was me. All your all your people were like angry yeah, at your buddy. <laughs> I, I've never I never liked and didn't sit well. And yeah, I, I think it's obviously letting your parents down is the worst thing than your family and the embarrassment for them to go up to the tent. Well, my dad to go to the golf club or tennis club is uh it is not not cool and not not something you know. It's not things you ever think about when you when you're doing what I was doing, but it's things, you know, you should, should really think about. Yeah? Do you think you were, if you look back on it, do you, would you, would you consider yourself, do you think you were an out of control person or do you think you were just a regular person that just can't be doing that shit, particularly when you're a pro athlete, a celebrity pro athlete, or do you think you were an out of control person? No, I, when I was younger, I could have been out of control, but the irony was it was a one-off when, it, yeah, I went to a party yeah. and I, I was thirty or forty in the world, and I everything was in check in my life, and yeah, I made a mistake. But if I if it had happened when I was twenty, I would have said no, you you deserved it. Not that I didn't deserve it when I was twenty four, but it was yeah a bit yeah out of the blue, being stupid, drunk. You just fucked yeah. off at the club being stupid. Yeah, and you got caught, man. Yeah, Jesus. but that's that's what you deserve when you do those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you did you 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 did the crime and you did your time. Yeah, I spoke to Sven Groneveld. You know, he was coaching uh, Bianca Andreescu uh, a while ago, and and I said to him, I he was we were talking about what it takes to be great, and he said, you know. All the players that are great, they have figured out a way to quiet down their lives. They live a quiet, mm-hmm. everything is quiet. Uh, Iga, Rafa, all the, whatever it is, right? Like, would it be fair to say that you found a, a quiet place? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I moved away from Birmingham to a very quiet place. Um, yeah. I, my, my life's pretty, pretty relaxed, pretty, you know, settled and that's, um, you know, that's what you want. If you don't have that on, if you don't have your off court stuff settled down, you, I think on court you can be, you know, you can be fiery and, and that's not what you want on the court. I think, or, you know, it's like any job you have a bad, you're having a bad time at home. You're going to work. It's not, you're not going to be that happy to be at work or do the job to the best of your ability. If, you know, home life's not good or so I definitely agree with Sven. Yeah. What's it like to have been on tour with Roger and Rafa and Novak and, and Andy, what's it like to have been in this lane of such like, I don't know, like insane greatness. What's it like to be in the locker rooms? What's it like to be on tour with these guys? I mean, yeah, it's like I, I've sort of seen a few generations now and it's, um, you know, it makes you think, yeah, like you said, it's four guys and Stan, I think, is still going and it's, you know, it's just for those guys to have three each, with those other three there, it's pretty impressive. You know, they've shared them out and Stan's nicked three and Andy's nicked three. You know, there's five guys there. You think, and you think that you think that that's unbelievable that these guys could ever win with these guys out I think, there. Yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, if one was injured a little more, how many Stan would have or how more Andy would have, or, you know, those guys stayed fit for so long and, just to have a front row seat to that is is pretty special, I I think, and 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 even more so how good good a guys all of them are, you know, polite, 
always say hello. And I think that's more, as people, I think that's more impressive for for how they are. Yeah. Getting ready for the interview, I read that, you know, you've, 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 you've had some time with Roger, but you know all these guys quite closely. I mean, now. I'm not, they all say hello. I'm not. I've not ever practiced with okay. with Rog with Rafa or or Novak, but you know I I know the the rest of them pretty well and they're, they're cool people. Yeah, is there static inside of the, like all the English players? Do you are the British players? Do you guys do you guys not like each other? And then you go play Davis Cup and you no, like each I other. Think, I think that's why we're pretty we're a pretty good team. Is we've got a great great yeah. mix now of. You know, Jack Draper's come in. He's a super cool dude. Uh, you know, Andy looks after us all, I guess. He's, he's, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's looked after Davis Cup for a long time now. He's, he's helped us all out. And now, you know, Cam's obviously playing, you know, he's had a little tough time, but he's been playing good tennis. And I think, you know, Neil think he's world number one or was. That's a pretty good team and they're all good guys. And it's, it's a it's a it's a fun week, really is. Uh, you know, we play uncopious amounts of darts and uh, and enjoy, and, and <laughs> do a bit of practice and in, enjoy each other's company. Sounds to me like you're doing really well. Like you're in a great like moment in your career. Yeah, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm just I'm looking forward, which is a great place to be. Is to you know, rather than looking back and, yeah, I just want to, I'm really looking forward to Davis Cup, to be honest. I can't wait to, to try and lift the trophy with, with those guys. They're they're a great bunch and and that's my main goal is to, to get through the first match and try and get in the semis and, and then you're really in the tournament. Can you get better? Can you do better? Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. It's, um yeah. I'm fit. I'm I'm healthy. Touch wood, and I'm. You know, I I don't really like the word hungry because I think everybody is on the tour. You know, like I hate it when people say, "Yeah, he's hungry." Well, why are you on the tour if you're not? I think everybody is, and I want to win the matches, and I'll give myself the best chance, and and that's the important thing. Is if you're ready, you you you'll get give yourself a chance. When we met. I said to you, the first thing I said to you is like, man, you know, I said, like, you know, you remind me of Hichimarazi, <laughs> the way you play. And I was a little, I was almost a little surprised you knew who I was talking about. I'm 20 years older than you. Hisham is about, he and I are the same age. For our listeners, Hichimarazi got to 21 in the world, Moroccan lefty, one handed backhand, kind of chipped it around, could come over it. And he was smooth as silk. And I, I actually went and watched some of Arazi, and I, I stand by what I said. You remind me a lot of Arazi, like a real shot maker, great mover. How did you find your style? I just found it. You know, it's I had a good slice. Um, you know, different coach definitely helped me, you know, become the way I played. You know, when I was younger, I didn't serve volley so much because I was obviously a bit smaller, but coaches were saying, no, no, it's... It's a good idea. Um, and it, it just evolved. I mean, and now I sort of, you know, I I know how I play, and it's it's stuck in in me now. It's 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 pretty. It's, it's a fun way to play, and yeah, I enjoy it. You never like watch someone and say, "Oh, I want to play like that player. I want my forehand to look like that player. I want my serve to look like that player." No, 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 because. I always wanted to play a bit like Tim, but he was taller, better served, so the the ball wouldn't come back so much. But I just, yeah, I loved. I watched so much tennis when I was young. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, again, I was really lucky at Loughborough. I was staying with a host family, and they loved tennis. And the the dad of the house, um, the the dad of another tennis player who I was staying with, he just watched tennis all night. And I would just watch it and watch it and watch it. And it was like... What's the name? What's the, what's their name? You got to tell the name, Dan. Uh, his name was Graham Lowe. Yeah, Graham, Graham, Lowe. And Marilyn, Graham and Marilyn Lowe. And they, they just love tennis. Their son's called Matt Lowe. And you stayed at their house? Yeah, when I was at Loughborough, yeah. 
and he he watched tennis all night long, and you just watch tennis with him. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I just watch it, and yeah, he'd watch anything. It was it was yeah, it was nuts, and and it yeah, so it was cool. Yeah, that no, was amazing. But you never you never dabble with a two handed backhand. You never well, I used tried... to have a two handed backhand, oh, and did? then they they changed me to a single hander. Yeah. At, at yeah. left bro, yeah, left bro. Yeah. Why they why they change you? Because my double hander was awful. And I was I was passing with one hand, so they said, "Let's try, let's try this." How important is your wife to your to the way you are right now? How important is she? I feel I feel like I see her everywhere. Yeah, you, you, she's not here. She's coming. She's coming mid midweek of this week. Hopefully, I win a match. And she's going to come. But yeah, it's um, you know you. You need stability on the tour, and that's you know that's what I've got, and it's uh, you know I'm obviously very lucky, um, but you know I she give up you know her work to come and travel with me, which is which I'm very lucky for and grateful, and it's um, it's something you know I really enjoy doing is traveling the world with with Alia. And Alia is what what was she doing before she met you? Well, she gave up her she work. She was uh, a, like a forensic scientist. She has. She's a forensic scientist. Yeah. So she was working for a, a, a solicitor's firm doing medical malpractice. Yeah. She was working for like a lawyer. Yeah. Firm exactly. Yeah. Working on malpractice suits, just forensic science. Wow. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the ten ball scramble. I say it, and you say what just comes into your mind. We go real fast. TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions. ADHD. Is Adderall a problem on tour? I think so. I'm hearing so. I don't know so. I'm hearing so. We're hearing that it's a problem, that guys are taking it and they're winning and it's like a performance-enhancing drug. Is that how you feel? It's not how I feel, but that's what I, I think a lot of people out there are saying that. What can you tell me about the Saudi initiative? Are we going to see you guys playing in Saudi Arabia? Is that is that just coming? Do we know that? I know the the only thing I heard is they are playing the next gen there. Do you know anything about that? Is there is there going to be a combined one thousand there next year? Do you know if that's hap- if that's true? I don't think so. I don't think don't, so. Don't think so. The PTPA. Don't know enough about it. You're not involved. You stay out of no. this. You just go play the tournaments. Politics are not for me. Your favorite player growing up? Tim Edman. Your favorite player now? Who do you like watching play? Is there anyone you love to watch? Nobody. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody. I do. I mean, watching <laughs> Novak's, like, is, it's, it's an art form, isn't it? Watching Novak. You love to watch Novak. Yeah. What about on the women's side? Is there any women? Do you, would you watch any women's tennis? Do you see? Yeah. She's not playing so much. I think she's having a baby, but I used to love watching Kerber and Vinci. Like, love watching them too. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. You don't know why? No, I mean, their games were just different. It was more like movement and flair. Do you think that um, the the tour is the the, the Gaudenzi plan is for the tours to merge? Um, Is that interesting to you? I'll be long gone by then. It's, oh, you don't feel like it's on the horizon? No. I'm not. I think something like that takes a long, long time. Your favorite forehand? Del Potro. Del Potro. Yeah. Backhand? Djokovic. What about a one-hander? Is there someone's one-hander you like? Stans. You like Stans? We just practiced yesterday and... Some of the shots you can hit, it's not not normal. Your favorite serve? Fed. And volleys? Mine. You like your volleys? Yeah. Wow, that's nice, man. You 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 do you feel like you're an underrated volleyer? I think so. Uh, I volley pretty well, I think. Big entourage or lean and mean? I feel like your your entourage is kind of a a medium size. Mm. Me, medium, unless it's a good city. I mean, I think uh, like New York, 
a, a big entourage is pretty pretty good for some good dinners. And when you're out, it's a good night. The most cavalier thing you ever did with prize money right out of the right out of the office. I bought a new watch after Washington, but it's not that cavalier. I mean, you deserve deserve something. What watch did you are you wearing it right now? No, no, it's a Rolex Day Day, a rose gold one. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And I had went, Washington went... <laughs> in the in the back of it. So yeah, you had Washington engraved in the back. In the back, yeah. That's tremendous. Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you were the king of tennis and you could make a change in the sport with one swing of the racket without any aggravation, what would it be? No medical timeouts. No medical timeouts. No medical timeouts. No medical timeouts. If you're fit to play, you can play. If you can't play, you can't play. Three minutes is making no difference. Get off the court. Quit the match. You can't play. Yeah, you can't you play. You can't play. You can't play. That's it. That's it. End it. End it. Yeah, you. They wouldn't have you. You want many people wouldn't retire. Nobody would retire. They would just, just. They would still be out there. Just get rid of the MTOs. Yeah. Hey, listen, man. Uh, I'm so happy that we got to do this. Uh, good luck tomorrow. Good luck. In those, you know, these these famous indoor tournaments, it's such a blast. Yeah, right. and and have a terrific time in Davis Cup. We'll see you down the road. To Dan Evans, you are released. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Huge thank you to Dan Evans and thank you to Diadora. Use my code approved in all caps at HollabirdSports.com for fifteen percent off of all Diadora performance tennis shoes. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.